This is the 451. I'm Summer Brennan. I'm Jesse Hirsch. And I'm Jonathan Mann. And we are a podcast for the resistance. So there is currently a, a pro, some protesters with Greenpeace that have scaled a crane in downtown D.C. in protest against Donald Trump. Wait, really? Yeah. It began around 9 a.m. and it's causing traffic delays near the intersection of 15th and L Street. And okay. you can see this on Facebook. They're live as, as of Wednesday morning at 9.14, <laughs> which is when we're recording this. There is uh, this live footage of, of protesters with Greenpeace that are uh, <clears throat> putting their bodies out there and chaining themselves to a crane, which I think is amazing. What's the crane? What's the function of the crane? <laughs> is it a is it a bad crane? Well, I'm just curious. Like, do, did they bring the crane? Is the crane already there? Like, what's I'm, it for? I guess just wondering if the crane is building some sort of monster factory. They're going to deploy a 70 by 35 foot banner with the word resist on it, on the crane. Nice. That's their plan. That's very cool. How are you guys feeling? Uh, um, is that too loaded a question? Is how, are, <laughs> how are you? It's become like a controversial question. Yeah. It's scary. It's There's no way around like just how scary things are right now. Yeah. And, and uh, like we were saying last week, like for so long, it felt like we were sort of in limbo because we weren't mm. exactly sure what was going to happen. And now that it's happening, uh, I don't know. For some reason, I thought maybe it would be like, well, maybe it will feel like a relief once it starts happening because at least then we'll know. And I didn't you know. think that. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, felt, I thought I would feel that way, and I absolutely don't. It keeps getting worse so fast, and we all had the march this weekend to give us some – you know, momentary relief and feeling yeah. of unity and everything, boost, which is good, which is good, which is absolutely necessary. And but the come down is so hard <laughs> The come down is hard. Yeah. I yeah. mean, those moments. I mean, what, did you guys march we did. in New York? Yeah, we yeah. we went together to the New oh, York March. Nice. Um, And thank you, Jesse, <laughs> for coming with me. Yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> um, it was good. I um. The last time I went to a big march in New York was for the Iraq war protests. Mm-hmm. And this was way bigger, way yeah. bigger by lots. I mean, I guess this, this subject's already been dealt with about how massive these global protests were. I, I feel like it'd be amazing to see these marches happen like once a month, like something on that scale. Right. Mm-hmm. Just, you know what I mean? Like, and, and um, as a parent, like I can tell you, it's difficult uh, when you have children and like, and you know, you can bring them, but w- when they're small, the way Jupy is like, you know, it's scary. He, it's not only scary. It's just like, he's bored. You know what I mean? He doesn't oh, want to yeah. a lot of people. And yeah. it's hard yeah. to like, if your kid's like, I need to, I need whatever. Exactly. You're like surrounded by 400,000 people. And you're like, hold on about that. Just <laughs> <Exactly>. a second. <laughs> so, so, you know, I know it's not easy for everybody, but man, if we could do this, if we could do this once a month and have it be like, make it a thing, you know, like in North Carolina, they have moral Mondays where they, right. where they march and they do things every Monday. Like if we could have something like that every month on a national scale or a global scale, even like that, I feel like that would be amazing. Yeah. The only other huge event like that that I've seen planned is that uh, they're suggesting a march around tax day. I saw a- that. In April. So that's a great idea. It's a totally great idea, but April is an awful long time away. Yeah. And there's going to be an awful lot of terrible things between now and then to protest. I went to a smaller protest on 
inauguration day here in Jersey City mm-hmm. with a group of like progressive activists here in the city, and it was great. It was it was small, but we were very passionate, and we marched uh, two miles in the rain, and it was really cold, but awesome. Oh, I watched your your Facebook live from that for a little bit. Oh it yeah, looked, it, it looked very cool. Yeah, it was great. We had, we had I'll a good, have to check a, that out. We had a good time, and we we were very angry. We chanted a lot. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Good singing. Do we want to talk about any of the any of the horrible things that have that have happened? No. I mean, <laughs> I, mean. I have one thing, which is which is um, there's this really interesting idea, which is that uh, when you repeat when you when you repeat a lie, even to refute it, you mm-hmm. you help the lie. Yes. Um, and you this mean is in like print a, or like in a psychic way? Both. Both. Like, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. It's like a it's like a cognitive psychology thing. If I say. Um, Donald Trump is falsely claiming that three million people vo- voted illegally. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's a part of your brain that the, only that hears, dismisses the falsely claimed. Yeah, that yeah. only hears three million people voted illegally. Huh. That like lodges that in your brain. And so yeah. and so um and so it's so infuriating to see him say that and then just plastered everywhere is like three million people voted illegally. Three million people voted illegally. Three million people even even though everyone's refuting it. So like um, I think the right way to do it is like Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Trump still challenges fact that Hillary Clinton won popular vote by three million votes. That's exactly the way you exactly. should do it. I mean, there's been there's been a lot of hoopla about how the New York Times has been has changed their verbiage uh, in the headlines, and now they're just saying lie. Right. Um, and and people are pretty happy to see. No, that. it's great. Accurate oh. reporting is always appreciated by the <laughs> from the New York Times. But just, just the word lie. You know, right. it's it's such a it's a, it's so big, and and that one's kind of hard. We're to right run. out of even, the game, even if it is lie about popular vote. I mean, if you look if you look to the authoritarian playbook, which we should I guess have to will <laughs> be doing daily for a while yeah. until this clown is out. You know, to lie about this stuff like the size of the inauguration crowd or the size of the protests or even this like immaterial. I mean, it's not totally immaterial, but the argument about the popular vote, which legally doesn't matter in America, right? So mm-hmm. to make these lies, it's the point is to demonstrate the uselessness of the truth, not to like forward the goal of the particular lie right. in a way. Like the point is to say like the tr- like the objective reality doesn't matter. I am in control of of this, and that's I mean like we've been through this again, but somehow it. it I mean, people are saying it like it's in the media. There's op-eds about this, but it's not like penetrating culture. Well, because I think there's a lot of focus, too, on what it means about Trump as a a man, right? That he is just so thin skinned that he needs to make such a big deal about these things that are petty, petty and don't matter. But the truth is, is that like more insidiously, it's it's upending our sense of what is real and what is not. Yeah, I actually don't think like his personality is very relevant. No, no. No, I don't either. Like, and that's something that, I mean, I don't want to be yet another person saying, it's a distraction. Here's the real right, story. Because, right, right, right. like, <laughs> even just hearing that phrase, like, makes my... It's so annoying, yeah. But I don't really, I'm not interested in psychoanalyzing him, like, Mm-mm. you know, uh, really that much. I mean, I, I'm sure that's useful for people, maybe in general, or for people, I don't know. But, um, yeah, like, you, looking at the function of him as a force of government and the way this works. I mean, even just the crowd size of, like, this is North Korea territory. Like, we're, you know, we're skipping we're skipping yeah. the Kremlin. This is, like, a very nerdy book that anybody that studied Middle Eastern studies, like I did, laughs when you mention it because everyone's required to read it. It's called Ambiguities of Domination um, by Lisa Wedeen. Anyway, it's just, it's about the Assad family, like, the several generations of their 
authoritarian rule and how they, you know, achieved it and maintained it. And um, it's this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter if nobody in the country really believes the pop, like the lie of their popularity. They just continue to perpetuate it. And like the truth like sort of ceases to matter. So there's so many things that have happened. And today, uh, tomorrow, when you're listening to this, you may know more than we do about the executive orders that Trump is putting forth today about immigration. But in the last few days, he's done a lot with executive orders. Yeah, I mean, he promised for a long time that he was going to be a crazy fascist dictator. Like, that's what he ran on. That was his platform. And he promised it. And then he got elected or whatever. And um, and then a lot of wait and see. But I mean, we we don't know. We don't no, know. No, no, we know. We know. Like we knew. Yeah. And then we knew when it was coming, when we were like the ante, in the antechamber of yeah. this Boschian nightmare in which we find ourselves. And now that he's here, he's yeah. guess what? Ruling as a fascist dictator. You know, it's been three days and everyone's life looks exactly the same. Yeah. Right. Mine doesn't look that different than it did, you know, in October. And it won't for a while. Right. It won't look different for a while. This is uplifting and great. So do, should we do the hopes and fears thing? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, we're, like, as usual, we kind of like jump into the vat of fear, like just in well, talking. For me, I, I can't really pick one thing. It's all sort of awful and it's happen, happening very quickly. Um, and I personally can't keep up with it. And because my job doesn't require me to, unless you count this podcast, <laughs> I'm realizing that I can't just read the news all day and yeah. be like a sane person um, because there's, you know, the, it changes throughout the day, like all the new horrible things that are happening. Um, but it, it it looks as bad as it promised to be. Yeah. So. Is that your fear? <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm just like, just I'm just going to gesture generally at America and say that. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a fear that I, that I just keep thinking about, which is like, he's very unpopular. And my fear is that is that something is going to happen, you know, whether it's and I don't want to get too far out there um, in suggesting wild and crazy things. But whether it's a terrorist attack that happens as a result of him not not attending. Or he just says there's a terrorist attack. Right, right. Or or, (laughs) or anything like that where exactly exactly, you know, where it's a big lie that has real consequences Mm. for people's safety. Um, or, you know, that he has directed a lot of hatred and anger at Black Lives Matter Mm. and how easy it would be, I fear, for him to scapegoat some kind of, some kind of... uh, To label it a terrorist organization or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. Did you see that he said he wants to send in the feds to Chicago? Yeah, exactly. And that's not even based on an event. That was based on some news report he saw on Chicago's violence. He was like, we need to send in federal presence. Um, Freaking weapons grade moron, yeah. Bill O'Reilly reported that violence is up year over year, uh, gun violence is up year over year in Chicago, and Mm. then shortly after that, Trump tweeted, hey, look at these statistics. Chicago, if you don't get your act together, we're gonna send in the the federal government. So basically, the quote unquote president of the United States, which is what I refer to him as, he gets his his intel from cable news chyrons. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And that's it. That's More it. or less. I mean, or people say like, hey, by the way, this other thing's happening. And he's like, please shut up. Your suit. It's terrible. Get out of my room. Like whatever. Yeah, whatever he says. Yeah. But that is my fear. My fear. My fear is that is that there will be some inciting incident that 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 he uses as grounds to and that the Republicans will go along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses as grounds to 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 make the Patriot Act look like child's play 
and really and really take this thing to the next level. Yeah, there will one hundred percent be something like that. I don't mean to be like dark or anything, but no, no totally. And, I, and it, that's not just us talking. That's uh, there are basically people who studied this stuff for you know centuries. That that is the next logical step in a in a regime right. like this. That's the next logical step. I mean, whether he takes like normal actions in America of dissent or crime or whatever, and then turns them into an event, or whether an actual event happens, because it's that's the way. I mean, there's no way there won't be some kind of national security issue. It's That's how it works. And also, it seems like his administration is omnishambles, so my faith in them like being effective yeah. at protecting us is low. Yeah, this is the fear. This is, yeah. this is, Jesse, this is where my fear? fear is sitting right now. Anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, my, my fear is that all of the, the enthusiasm, all the great anti-Trump energy that we saw this weekend is just going to get squashed by the... Like I'm, I'm seeing it happen on Twitter, and I can't be on Twitter right now because people yeah. are just like, uh. People um. need to be quiet about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and but there's just there's just too many things mm-hmm. happening too quickly, uh, and like we're talking about right here, like we can't even talk, we can't even parse out all the all the different executive orders that he signed, all the things to be scared of, mm-hmm. um, and I just I'm afraid that all of the all the enthusiasm of resistance is gonna just easily parlay into despair. Be crushed under the might of fascism. Yeah. It's a steamroller. That's a scary one, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well. (laughs) That's um, why it's a fear. So one thing, though, about that is the internet isn't always the best reflection of reality. And one thing that was shockingly, um, and the, the one thing that was really good for me about going to the march on Saturday is it was a reminder of, like, the real peopleness of the whole thing and of the resistance and that it's not like just you and like your cynical journalist friends like being snarky online it's like your mom's friends and their friends and they're in pink hats and they're not going to take it anymore and like they were at Woodstock damn it and there is no there is no substitute there's a hundred percent no substitute for like for forming whatever kind of group or joining a group and going to be with those people because because when when you are with people face to face even if you're and even this even like us just sitting here talking to each other not face to face <laughs> not face to face but yeah. still talking to each other is 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 miles uh better than talking to each other on fa- on Facebook or Twitter like right. you know I, it's I agree. It, just just doing doing that and being with like-minded people especially face to face I think mm-hmm. is there's no substitute. And to your point, Jesse, I feel like that's the thing that will keep it going is we just need to like, we need to find a way to just keep being with each other and moving forward with whatever ways we want to resist. Yeah, I guess it's just because like, at least for my community online, and I follow a lot of very positive people on social media, although I'm taking a break from social media to work on like my actual work. It's very easy for negative voices to get amplified. Yeah. It's like it's cool to be negative. But where do you where do you draw the line between negative voices and people who are just reporting on what happened in the news that day? Well, reporting on what's happening in the news is fine, but like <laughs> a ton of people saying all the momentum is going to be squashed. That's a different thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah, no, like, that's true. So the news itself is super depressing, and I'm sure it's part of why everyone's like, it's all useless. Who cares if you knitted a pink hat and like went and marched right. with four million people worldwide? It was pretty remarkable to watch the... Um, <laughs> the backlash and then the backlash against the backlash. So, you know, there was the march and then there mm-hmm. was the backlash against the march of uh, it wasn't inclusive enough or it was just a bunch of white people or uh, 
uh, where were all you all these years before? And then there's the backlash against the backlash, which is um, which I saw today, which is the which is the part I, I agree with, which is like, let's not uh, make fun of or disparage people because they're waking up politically. Everyone wake up, wakes up in their own time and let's welcome you know, and, and I include right. myself actually in this. That was our first episode where we were like, oh, whoops. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking that. <laughs> our square one was where have we been? Yeah. What happened? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. and so it's like it feels it feels counterproductive to like not welcome and and I guess I guess I'm saying I'm saying us and and that feels weird. But it, but you know because I'm sounds sound like I'm complaining or something. But like mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm just saying like instead of saying where were you, you could say um, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> like let's let's get to work. You know. Sure. And mm-hmm. For people who have been doing it for a long time, I can see how frustrating it would be. Movements like any protest movement, with the civil rights movement, they all had lots of infighting and disagreement. Yeah. It's just that now right. it's um, everything is sort of magnified and saved because like it happens in the comments on a Facebook post or something, right. you know, right. but before even huge, very successful movements like the March on Washington, the Dr. King led or, or what have you, like there was disagreements about who should be included, who shouldn't be included and, and what's the platform and they disagreed about nonviolence and they, you know, so this is just how it is. Like people, you know, herding cats, like that's how it works. It's just that sort of the dirty laundry of the whole thing is sort of like on public view in a way that it didn't used to be. And I think if people can kind of remember that, that that's not like uniquely divisive or anything. It's just, just sort of the nature of large groups of different people coming together with different levels of awareness, different levels of prejudice or awareness of their own prejudice. Like it's a messy thing, you know. Um, I hope that the movement is towards fixing it and I mean that's just what one can hope and see like okay is it moving towards being better and how, how am I helping it move towards being better do we have hopeful things can we do hopeful things before we get into the yes I, um, I did want to add one thing though about that conversation about the the you know divisiveness yeah, or people yeah, fighting is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean just sort of like a tip or what I am trying to do is when you're part of a group that is privileged we've said this before you know um equality can feel like oppression right but also sometimes you don't always agree with the arguments that people are making. And I think about this as a white person. Like sometimes I hear people talking about equality stuff that I'm like, oh, I don't like that makes me uncomfortable. And but as the person with the privilege, I try to maybe just sort of let it go a little right. bit. Right. But just like maybe just some advice like for people as we all come together in this mix of different levels, like I said, of prejudice or awareness of prejudice or trying to you know, figure it all out is to just like, if you're a member of a privileged group, like cut everyone, cut some slack. I totally agree. And my very first reaction when someone is calling me out, always, 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 my first reaction is to feel very defensive um, and want to lash out in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a real, it's a real process to like, to, to, to learn not to do that and yeah. just sit with it. And very often if I sit with it for like even just 15 minutes or something and I think it through and I read about it, um, I don't ask the person calling me out to tell me about it. I go and research <laughs> yes. it myself. That's important. I, I come to yeah. the conclusion that they're right and, that, and mm-hmm. that, that I made a mistake. This happened to me just the other day where I called Betsy DeVos crazy. Mm. 
And someone in the comments on Facebook said, can you please not use crazy in mm. a pejorative way? Mm. And I looked it up and I read about how using the word crazy or insane, it's like using the word um, gay to mean stupid or, or something. It, it, mm-hmm. the, the language has, has that kind of power and even things like that. And my first reaction was like, what are you talking about? I'm just using right. the word crazy. It's not, it's not, you know, and then I read about it. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Right. You mean that someone is bad and you don't understand how they can be so bad. You don't mean that they have like mental deficiencies. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, you can be more precise with your language and that's a good thing. Did you see the article uh, in the post this morning about the Women's March? And it was about how as a comparison to some of the Black Lives Matter protests that happened this summer, it went so peacefully. And that the thought being that that right. was because it was a majority white march uh, pr- protest action. And that's why right. it was... That's why there was so much, the police presence was so friendly and people talk about high fives and things like that. And and I felt that way when I first read that article. I was yeah. like, oh, come on. You know, like it was such a great and hopeful yeah. thing. Let's let's yeah. not all get on, on about this. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's just, uh, but, you know, there was a lot of validity to it. And, you you know, once I sat with it. A part of me even wants to be like, but also it was like very kind of like family friendly and somebody some white person who was doing the like, you know, the defensive white person thing was being like, well, look, here's these Black Lives Matter protests that were like with middle schoolers and like they were also peaceful. And so it's also about family stuff. But this is an excellent example of like, you know, and shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just just let just let it be part of the conversation. You don't need to correct the course like it's fine. A way to frame it positively is okay, like, this is what happens when... There's a lot of white people in America, you know, (laughs) for better or worse. That's the makeup of the country, and it's great to see people from every community kind of representing, and let's do that for all the issues. Like, that's... Exactly. No, if there's a a Black Lives Matter protest, it's like, if we as white people go out there and, and put our bodies between the police and the black people, like, that is a good thing to do, because they're less likely to do these things to us than they are to them. And that's just a fact. We didn't even do our hopeful things. <laughs> no, let's do our hopeful things. No, this is good. This is a good conversation. 70 let's... minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> My hopeful thing is more of a, just a, a happy thing, I guess, or a, or a not miserable thing. <laughs> that works. Just that for me and for a lot of people that I know, all of this horror is kind of driving us to appreciate the little things that we maybe had ignored in our lives before. You know, uh, every every time that I'm, this is so goofy, but every morning when I'm making eggs, which is something that I make every single day and I've been doing it, for, like, like I'm, actually, I'm actually paying attention to the process and paying attention to how delicious it is, you know, and taking a moment and actually savoring it because there's just so much shit to compare it against. Um, so I just don't, I don't think that, that that's a bad impulse that we, that we all kind of double down on the, on the little tiny moments of life that actually matter. That's all I got is eggs. eggs. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't have eggs. That's a good thing to have. That's true. Yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling weirdly a little bit hopeful about 2018. And I know that that's hmm. a long way off and we have a long, we have a lot that can happen between here and there. But I feel like, I feel like if, if we do keep the, if the momentum of this movement that has, that has sprung up is kept, I I feel like despite the, the odds that are stacked against Democrats and the left in general, in terms of midterm elections, in terms of gerrymandering, I feel like there's, there's a chance that we can, that, that we can sort of awaken the sleeping electorate Mm -hmm. and this thing, um, knock on every door 
Did you guys see this go by? Knock every door. Mm-mm. It's a movement basically just to like, I'll, I'll read you the thing. Uh, we're launching nationwide volunteer-led canvases to organize their communities against Trump. Sign up to canvas where you live and invite your friends to get involved, especially if you live in a county that flipped from Obama to Trump in 2016. Um, I was hearing an interview with Keith Ellison on uh, Ezra... Klein? Yeah. Uh, on his podcast uh, with Keith Ellison. And Keith Ellison talked about how... It's a great interview. We'll link it. It's really good. You should listen to it. Keith Ellison talked about how his district in Minnesota that he represents used to have the lowest voter turnout, and now it has the highest consistently. The highest in the country or in the state? In the state. In the state. And... uh, And what it all comes down to is knocking on doors and just like pounding the pavement and he has he has a really sophisticated but also simple sophisticated in that he has a lot of people working on it but it's just a simple idea which is he keeps in constant contact with his constituents Mm -hmm. and he does it like via knocking on doors like he has he has all kinds of people that go out and do this Mm -hmm. um and he doesn't just do it during elections he does it all the time Mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of that's like what grassroots organizing and grassroots uh, winning elections looks like is just knocking on the doors and making people aware and waking up p- people that w- weren't voting v- before and bringing them in to the process. So I'm excited about that. Did you guys see the swing left yeah, thing? Swingleft.org. We got the we have the same district, Summer, you and I. Yes, it's not since we live like a 10-minute bike ride from each other. It's not shocking. <laughs> um, yeah, so it tells you, you enter your address or zip code or whatever, and it'll tell you your nearest um, swing districts, the, the district nearest to you that was like just barely Democratic, and then where the nearest um, Republican district that could be flipped is. And um, my nearest swing, I mean, this is New York, so. But the nearest swing district, I guess for both of us then, was was it the third the Long Island, and then the the one the, the nearest Republican swing district was in New Jersey. So we th- I thought of you, Jonathan. Yes, there's there's several there's several Republican districts mm-hmm. right actually not far from me, and so um, yeah, and obviously like New, you know Brooklyn might have more people just volume wise that they can like deploy around, but just the thought of that happening all over the country where you get all these volunteers who are just determined and can be targeted and say, okay, you're like, yeah, it's like, a, let's do it. Yeah. Like maybe it's a little bit out of the way. I have to take a train, but it's, this is America. Like, you know, it's <laughs> the thing to remember is like, there is a sleeping electorate. There's like 50, 50, you know, in midterm elections, what's the turn? The turnout is horrible in, min- in midterm elections. Right. So this is not beyond the realm of possibility. Um, and so it's just something that we, we, we just have to do. We just have to get out there and do it. Yeah. Um, and I also, um, <laughs> we, we talked about the, the daily actions we liked. And I mentioned Talia Lavin, who um, has a tiny letter with daily actions. And anyway, oh, she awesome. and I actually met up over the weekend, the day after the Women's March. And we're talking about, we don't have anything to share yet, but talking about, okay, like just voting yeah. stuff, like registration and initiatives and how to, you know, what to do. And so I hope that lots of other people had meetings like that as well to get together with like-minded people and think, okay, like how can we pool our resources and totally make a change? The, um, one thing about the swing left thing and it's, and it's fine now, there was a, there was a bit of concern on the daily costs because at first swing left, they weren't listing who 
their who their staff was and it didn't turn out i don't think because they did end up now listing who who's on their staff and that seems to check out or whatever what but was there the was complaint, though? the complaint was to be careful with new uh progressive seeming things that are popping up and who you give your email to oh look first see do a little bit of research see who they are see see if you can figure out who's the founders what have they done what's hmm. their background because the fear is, and I think it's a legitimate fear, even if it didn't turn out to be true for Swing Left, which is, which I'm thankful for, mm-hmm. the fear is, like, who knows why people want your email, right? And so it's always mm-hmm. good to just like double check. And um, I didn't do it with Swing Left. Like I'm just like, oh, this looks awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> but right. it's, good to, it's good to do a little research before you sign up for these things just to see if you can figure out who these people are. Do they seem legit? Right. Or are they, mm-hmm. you know, Breitbart operatives, like, just looking to sow chaos? Sorry. I mean, like, we have, like, a Breitbart operative in the freaking White House. So, I'm, I mean, I, you're right. Like, yes, you're right. <laughs> just, I'm just, I felt like, I also felt the need to be like, oh, well, I also signed White House petitions. And those people definitely wish me ill. So, but listen to Jonathan and not me. Was that your, was Swing Left your hopeful thing? Cause that, My cause... hopeful thing is that regardless of, like, the negative, so two things, actually. I have two hopeful things, which is just amazing, really, considering weak it is. So one is the fact that no amount of negativity from anyone, whether they're on the Trump side or not, can take away the fact that, like, at least four million people went out on a freezing January day to protest Trump. And they did it on every continent, and they did it, even Antarctic researchers made signs (laughs) to get out a Sharpie and be like, F this BS, I hate it, and go out and hold it up. Or like me, you know, you don't actually bring a sign, but you're there. I mean, that takes something, and that, that is indicative of something. And I don't think people should... Like, yes, of course, it's just the first step, but it's like, you, you know, you have to show up to the meeting for there to be a meeting. Like getting out there is is a very important part of it. So that gives me a lot of hope and it makes people see each other and be like, OK, it was many of us were strong. Also, the fact that the media, the media, but, you know, like different media outlets, different journalists are being courageous enough to call mm-hmm. a lie a lie. Or just say, like, you know, was Jake Tapper was like, you want an alternate fact? I'm Wolf Blitzer, and this yeah. is the situation room. That kind of stuff is important, and we're only on, like, the third business day of, like, Trump's actual inauguration, I mean, his actual administration. Yeah, um, that, was, that was very funny. That's important, and I hope that will grow. And, you know, it's people could, they like, the coverage hasn't always been that great, but I hope it'll keep going mm-hmm. on that. The whole Spicer thing this weekend really seemed to tick off some journalists who hadn't really been aspired up as we would have liked all along. Um, it was kind of like what he could just lie right to our faces. Um, and and I think I think that that has kind of been an affront that is driving journalists to get a little more you know, critical. Uh, let's do our ad real quick. So we have okay. a sponsor, same sponsor as last week, Domainer.com. Domainer. And Domainer without an E. D-O-M-A-I-N-R. Like the internet thing. Like the internet things. <laughs> um, and so Domainer, what makes Domainer great is it's just like super fast. If you're looking for that domain name that you need for your new website, I don't know, Summer, you got any ideas for a new website? Women's Voter Registration <laughs> Drive. <laughs> Women's Voter Registration Drive. Why do 
always so long. I'm so unhappy and the situation like, is so bad. Dot com. I hate everything, but eggs are still good. Dot TV. <laughs> dot net. <laughs> I hate everything, but eggs are, are still good. Dot IO. You, so if you type that in, you just go to domainer.com. Uh, slash 451 and you type that in and it'll give you that it'll give you i hate everything but eggs are good you know dot com <laughs> and it'll immediately show you all the different um options that you have but also it'll suggest some really great ones okay domainer.com slash 451 i hate everything <laughs> wait no what is it everything is horrible but eggs are good is horrible but eggs oh are good um, let's see. You could do, oh, you could do dot GG. That's weird. You could do, I love these ones. So this is what we said last week too. Okay. E-V-E-R-Y-T-H dot I-N-G. So mm-hmm. like everything. And then slash is horrible. But <laughs> <eggs are> great. <laughs> That's funny. There you go. So, yeah, go. uh, if you're looking for that perfect domain, uh, go to domainer.com slash 451, just the numbers and, uh, by going there and uh, maybe purchasing your own domain, you'll be helping the show. And um, we love Domainer. Yes. And thanks so much again to Domainer for sponsoring the 451. So yesterday it was raining and Jesse and I took a little field trip. Yes. Where did you go? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, Jonathan. Um, we headed, headed over to a synagogue in Brooklyn. Congregation Beth Elohim, um, also known as the Garfield Street Temple to interview the rabbi there, Rabbi Rachel Timoner. So so I haven't heard this interview yet, so let's uh, let's go to this interview and uh, let's hear what, what, what she had to say. So thank you for joining us for the 451. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> um, I mean, so... The, the reason that we're here with you in particular was that Summer saw you uh, shortly after the election speak at, it was a, an interface. Oh, it was here. It was yeah, here. It was the interface prayer meeting here yeah. the um, day so, after the election. So do you want to just say a little bit about what that was like? It was the day after the election. I was feeling sort of in shock and emotional and didn't expect to be feeling the way I did. And, um, and I went out to buy a book at the community bookstore and I passed by a sign that said there was a meeting. And I thought, that sounds nice and I came in and there was all these people talking and sharing and the cantor was singing and there was a priest here who was weeping and it was just felt like the right place <laughs> to be for how I was feeling. So what happened was I mean honestly I leading up to the election I actually thought he was going to win mm. and no one around me thought he was going to win so I was kind of emotionally and mentally preparing for that and really afraid of it hoping I was wrong. And then the night when the, when the returns came in, somebody wrote me on Facebook and said, as it started to become clear what was happening, we need to hear from you. And so I wrote just a message to people basically saying, there's a lot of fear in my house tonight, um, but we're made for moments like this. And we, are, we need each other. I need you, you need me, we need each other. And we, we are not made for the easy times. That's not why we're born. We're not born for the easy times. We're, t- we're born for times that require moral courage and that require us to love deeply, and that require us to stretch ourselves beyond what we thought we could. And anyway, so I wrote that, and mm. and people, a lot of people responded. It went a lot of places, and then the next morning, somebody, one of my members wrote me and said, I need to be with other people. Can you make that possible? So it's like that morning, I just like wrote to the congregation. I just said, if you are mourning, you're not alone. 
come be with other people. And we just opened the sanctuary doors. It was like a four hour window. And we just sat and we didn't know who was going to come. We didn't know what was going to happen. And people just streamed in. Yeah. For And it was not ever like huge, but it was like people just rotated in and rotated out and they had to go pick up their kids or whatever. They, they came and they went and we had tissues, boxes of tissues all around. And we would sometimes just sit in silence and we would sometimes sing. And, we, and then we just passed the mic and people just spoke, you know, from their hearts. And there was a lot of crying. There was anger. There was a feeling of betrayal. There was a lot of fear expressed. People told stories about people they knew who they were afraid for and or themselves, you know, and it was real, I think it was really helpful. And then that Friday after, we decided to make Shabbat a healing service, and we just, again, just said to the community, like, if you want this, like, come, we're just gonna make it into a healing service, and that was big. And people came, and there was, it was, Shabbat is meant to be uplifting, and I kept trying to, like, <laughs> like have a hint of that, but, like, people were just, like, tears just down their face, like, just the whole time, just tears down their face, and so, um, so we've been since then trying to make this a space for people who are trying to figure out how to be with their emotions and also then how to do something useful and create a resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't raised particularly religious. Like I right. have different, you know, associations family wise, but it seems that it's, it can be such a, a powerful point of solace, but also organization. And yeah, I think that part of why religious traditions can be, useful for and comforting for people in times of great crisis is because we especially the really old ones we've been through it you know we've been through all of it and we have liturgy that responds just like you know to being enslaved for hundreds of years to you know our people went through the holocaust like we've been through terrible terrible things and it gives you a sense of like of 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 possibility like that that even for example we have a prayer in our service that is about the moment when we crossed the street and, be, and became free. And that moment, like whether it's understood as metaphor or true, it doesn't matter. That moment is the, in the story is that moment when you thought it could never change, that there was tyranny that was unbreakable, that there was a system that was so stuck and broken that it would never be healed. And then you find yourself on the other side of the sea and suddenly it all was healed and you're free. And everything that seemed unbreakable actually broke. And so we sing that every time we gather because it's part of the liturgy, because it's part of our story. And that's hugely resonant in a moment like this when it seems bleak, so bleak, we can't see our way out. Yeah. But to know like our people have been here before and we found a way out and we will again. I mean, is that a message that you find resonates with the people with your congregation? Yeah. I mean, my congregation is it, not everyone, but a lot of people are in despair right sure. now. Mm-hmm. And so coming to hear about from the stories of our people that are thousands of years old, how did we speak truth to power? How did we stand together and find strength in numbers? How did we find liberation when when it seemed that seemed impossible? And it, it's incredibly hopeful to hear those stories. And even you know, regardless of how you understand what Torah is, like whether what our scriptures are, you know, if you, some people take them totally literally, some people take them more as metaphor. But it doesn't matter because these stories are our our people's narrative, and then. We look at this time and we say, okay, some of these strategies and some of these storylines like, could actually we could draw on for strength. I do think very much that people are looking to be with each other. They're looking to not be alone right now. Singing is hugely healing. Um, and then also having collectively like a call to action, a sense of like, okay, we have strength in numbers. Look at us. There's a lot of us here. Like We have 850 households that are members of this congregation. Like That's a lot of people. If we move together, we could do something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's then where we've been taking it. And I don't know if you know about Get Organized Brooklyn, if we should talk about that, but yeah. that's where we've been taking it. Yeah, okay. tell me about it. <laughs> so, since, so since the healing services, and now every time we have Shabbat, we have some kind of, our theme for Shabbat always now is love and hope. That's like every time. And we talk about whatever's <laughs> going on in the world, but then we like come back to love and hope, love and hope, love and hope. But then we, we are partnering with our city council member, Brad Lander. Right. And we are hosting this thing called Get Organized Brooklyn, which is um, basically we open our doors once a month to the entire community and say, if you want to turn your mourning into action, if you want to turn you know, your sorrow into strategy, like come here. And um, we've had four of them. The smallest one was 600 people. The largest one was 1,200 people. Wow. And 600 more on Facebook Live. Um, the last one was 900. I mean, they're, they're big gatherings. Yeah. And... Um, and then people, we basically set it up so people could self-organize into working groups. There are 15 major working groups on things from like standing with our immigrant neighbors to um, standing against Islamophobia and anti-Semitism to defending reproductive rights to, you know, you name it. There's 15 major topics. And people, so we start all together and then people self-select into those groups. And then out of those groups, anybody can say, this is the part I want to work on and form a subgroup. And people are basically self-organizing in these things. And then in between the meetings that we, where we all gather, they're working together and they're making things happen all the time. Uh, we have a one group that I'm most involved in, which is a sub-team of the Islamophobia anti-Semitism working group, which, um, which is a rapid response team that basically if there's an act of Islamophobia or a swastika written on a wall or whatever, we go there and we have a vigil there. We say, this is not, this is not in our city. This is not who we are. And so you know, that's a very specific practical thing to do. There's some people working on, you know, opposing all the appointments and they're working right now on DeVos and right. Tillerson and it's really, really empowering to come together in large groups and to hear what everyone else is doing and to feel like you have your own role you can play. You don't have to do everything, mm -hmm. but you have something that you can do and kind of listen inside yourself. Like, what is the thing that I most mm -hmm. can contribute and then plug in? Yeah, it seems like it's so it's so overwhelming if you look at the whole picture. It's but, so overwhelming. But if you can find like your your place where you belong, and I've said that the whole time, but even so, it's it's still easy to get kind of lost in. It is find your hill to defend. Yeah, find your hill it, to it de is. defend. It is. You know, and like even when we look in the news, every single day there are things I can. You know, yesterday I was just like, oh, okay, you know, we had this exhilarating march, yeah. which I can talk about more if you want. Like an incredible <laughs> exhilarating march. We sent three buses to Washington for 150 people, and then had, I don't know how many more, but many more traveled independently, and then we had hundreds go to Manhattan, mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody had this, like, exhilarating, incredible experience, and then you see the news feeds from, like, every little town across everywhere, and then, you know, he just, like, uses his pen and, like, <laughs> cuts off funding for global reproductive health care, <laughs> and, you know, so I, I think, I, I think there's, it's, it's easy to be overwhelmed, and it's also easy to feel discouraged and feel yeah. hopeless. Part of what's been giving me inspiration lately is reading about civil rights movement and that same thing that they, they had a lot of, of faith and I don't know if um, what your thoughts are on that and, yeah. and, and how that can help even people maybe that don't belong to a faith community. I have a very strong feeling of connection to God and many of my congregants do not. Um, I'm in a community where some people do and some people don't. So a lot of people don't know what they think you know, about it or what they feel about it. Um, for me, the f a feeling of connection, um, what it means is that there is a unifying force connecting all being in the world, all humans and all being. And I totally believe that, like 100% believe that. And so it makes me know that ultimately we all belong to each other and um, our siblings, you know, everyone. And um, that gives me a sense, it does give me hope. 
I also, um, in Judaism, we believe that the soul is pure and that we do wrong. Everybody does wrong sometimes. Some people kind of get off the, tr the path and they do like a lot of wrong. But that at our core, there's something really pure and beautiful. And um, that gives me hope to believe that even people who are doing great evil, and I think I would use the word e evil is being done right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really believe that there is something, there's light inside there, you know, and um, that, makes, that, that makes my spiritual, spirituality aligned with a Dr. King who really believed that the, way, that the way to make social justice and healing was not to make the oppressor the enemy, but to find a way to have them become your friend. And that's not easy, but that is where I come from. And I, 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 think, I think that even if you don't believe in a soul or believe in God, the idea of trying to find the spark of goodness in other people is essential right now, especially because it's not just Trump's administration, uh, um, you know, or 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 the Republican-held Congress, who we might feel opposed to. It's lots and lots of ordinary Americans mm -hmm. who we might feel opposed to. And to be to to, it's so important that we not write them off. It's so important that we see them, you know, that we see like to totally trust and believe that there is a spark of goodness inside them even if we're not talking the same language, mm -hmm. even if we're not seeing the same story, like we're just seeing different pictures, can we find each other? I totally believe we can find each other. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing that, that faith gives me is a really long timeline, you know? <laughs> and I've been working on social justice work um, since I was 16 and I, I'm 46 now, so 30 years, and which I know is not even that long, but <laughs> but um, there's lots of times when I would, burn, would have burned out if I didn't have something deeper to hold on to that was, really about, you know, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Right. That's what Dr. King said. And like, I, I absolutely believe that. I know that. I, I, I know, I feel like I know that inside of myself, that we as a species are evolving, evolving in our sensitivities, in our morality, in our empathy to others. It's so slow and it's in fits and starts and it's not linear, but I really believe that we are learning and growing and that includes growing to be able to have compassion for one another. And it just, it takes longer than anybody would like. Yeah. Can you t tell us a little bit about your activism? I mean, after the full 30, 30 yeah. years. <laughs> but like, what inspired you to first become an activist? You said you were 16. Um, yeah, I grew up in Miami. And um, in Miami, I, I grew up in the 70s and it had been segregated, I mean, legally segregated, not that long earlier. And um, it was still mm. de facto segregated as is my neighborhood now. I grew up with an awareness around those divisions and the fact that there had been this really unjust set of laws just before I was born. That didn't really show itself in terms of a activism or social justice work until I was a teenager and, and went off to college. I went to college when I was young and I actually went to Yale, which is in New Haven. At that time, um, New Haven was really desperate. Like it was economically desperate. and. Um, Yale is set up like a fortress and like it looks like a castle with iron gates and spears on the top of the gates and we were inside those gates and the people right across the street like didn't have basic needs like they yeah, didn't it's have, still kind of like that right? it is still like that it was yeah. it was worse in the in the 80s but yeah it is still kind of like that and so like right across the street I'm looking at people who don't have the basic things that they need there are no jobs the schools are terrible they're struggling and meanwhile I'm sitting in like a place of ultimate privilege mm -hmm. and it I couldn't help but be awakened by that 
and I and I can never go back to sleep. Like I I woke up from that with from that experience and just thought like I have to do the rest of my life. I have to work on this. This is not right. Just because of the house I was born into compared to the house that this person was born into, my life is on a completely different trajectory, and that is not okay. So in college, I did I did some different things, including a campaign to get the university to pay fair taxes to the city, mm. which it was not doing. And then it, it, we actually won that campaign, and so they pay taxes now. Wow. Um, and and then I did other did other things. We started a soup kitchen and did other kinds of things that were a range of kind of things. Um, I also became a feminist. I also came out. I'm a lesbian. All that happened during college. And then I moved out to San Francisco because I had come out and I thought, oh, I should see San Francisco. I've never been there. Never spent time there. So I went to live there and um, got involved working with LGBT youth. Um, at that time in the early 90s, there was a really high suicide rate for LGBT youth. And I got involved in starting a peer talk line that anybody could call anonymously and talk to someone roughly around their age who was trained, who could talk them through whatever they were going through. Um, we ended up getting like thousands tens of thousands of calls it was it was like inc- incredibly wow. active line um i did that for a couple of years i ended up working for the national gay lesbian task force um trying to think about those the issues nationally and then worked for um the women's building which is a community center in san francisco that works with primarily low-income women and women of color um i worked on a campaign around welfare rights when when um, bill clinton was actually uh taking welfare apart mm. I don't want to talk about that very much, but that did happen. <laughs> um, that happened. And um, and um, and then uh, and then realized through all of that, like, oh, I if I don't get in touch with my spiritual roots, if I don't get in touch with um, faith, I'm not gonna last long doing this work. I have got to touch into something deeper and more sustaining. And so, over those years, started to get more and more involved in Judaism. I actually started out meditating. That was the first thing I started doing was meditating and then realized, oh, I come from a tradition that I actually grew up in and know about and should go back there and see if there's anything there for me. And when I did, it totally lit me up and I was like, oh, this is home. I found it and realized I don't have to either do social justice work or do spiritual work. They go together. And any, any idea that, like, if you look at the prophets or Torah or any, all of our traditions, like the core teachings all have to do with justice Humility, love, kindness, all of them. And so you can completely dedicate yourself to a spiritual life that is aiming toward justice. They are not, doesn't have, you don't have to choose between those two things. And I know there are a lot of people who are really turned off by religion and think sure. have been oppressed by religion. And I get that. I mean, I'm a lesbian. I get that. <laughs> but um, I think that part of our task in this time is also to assert that the voice of, of, of religion that is, that is, utterly non-oppressive, that is the voice that includes all people in their full humanity, that sees every single human being as in the image of the divine, and um, is a place for us to come together, heal, practice kindness, and then figure out how to be powerful. Yeah. I've mentioned something um, as well about um, talking with groups that were Trump voters maybe in the area. Yeah, we do plan to do that. Yeah, we have some members who are really interested in that. I think it's so important. I I think if we could match community by community, like find like who's your nearest, you know, if you don't call it like red district or whatever, yeah. and match people to be in conversation and to really listen and, be, and maybe it needs to be like really carefully facilitated conversation right. where people try to hear each other, try to share their stories, not just their not just the kind of the litany of positions on things, but this is what scares me. This is my deepest hopes. This is this is what keeps me up at night. 
this is what I wish for for my children. That, like those kinds of things to share with each other. I think we'd find a lot that we share. And maybe even in the places that we differ, we might understand better why we differ. Like understand better like how someone could be coming from that mm-hmm. place. I hear a lot of people wanting to close that door yeah. of communication. The thing is, there's no future there. Like what is that future? The future is one side beats the other and, and defeats them and, 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 you know, I don't know what happens next. But <laughs> it's not pretty, whatever it is. Yeah. The only future is being able to find each other. Other, I mean, there could be a civil war. I mean, that's a would be a there could be other kinds of terrible outcomes here, um, or that's one path. Or the other path is <laughs> trying to find trying to find each other. You know, yeah. and and I'm not. I don't mean to oversimplify. I don't think it's easy. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people. I'll just say, for, you know, there are a lot of people who would never want to speak to me because I'm a woman, rabbi, lesbian. I mean, I understand this is not easy. You know, yeah. but but we can't not do th- if we don't do this. I, I I would love someone to explain to me what the p- positive outcome could possibly be of not <laughs> right. doing this. Right. I don't see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. What I know that some of the arguments. I mean, I'm with you, but yeah. I know some people argue I can't talk to someone who doesn't see me as a human being. Like if somebody is um, uh, homophobic or racist, yes. and, and that and those labels apply to you. Yes. Like. A lot of people are like right, that, that. That isn't just a differing viewpoint. They actually like are discounting my humanity. Yes. So I don't want that conversation. And I get that. I mean, I, I really get that. Um, I think there's a time and a place for everything. I, I think. Look, one thing that I've seen is how LGBT rights has moved so quickly and far. Though right now it's in danger. <laughs> it did move so quickly as a movement in this country. And why? Why did it move so quickly? I think the reason why is because it's a kind of identity that cuts across all economic and racial mm. lines and every every neighborhood, every walk of life, everywhere. You could anybody could end up with someone in their family who's gay. And what happened, the smart thing about that movement was that it was centered on coming out. It was centered on personal relationships and saying to someone else, this is who I am. And sometimes those reactions were horrific. I used to work with LGBT youth. I talked to kids who were beaten up because they were gay. I know there were kids who were killed who were because they were gay. There were kids who committed suicide because they were gay. I'm not saying this is easy, and I, you know, there, there, there was a lot of abuse that happened against people. I myself worked in a congregation briefly um, that was like a, a, a rural community where um, there was a boycott run against me because I was a lesbian, and there were people who would not come, and they tried to get other people to quit because I was a lesbian, and. I, that was a situation where I felt like, okay, I'm going to stick, I I could walk away for sure. And I'd have every right to walk away, but I'm going to stick with this. And I'm going to see if I, if if I'm like plant my feet and I'm open hearted and I'm just myself, you know, and, and speak from my heart every time I'm here and lead people in healing prayer every time I'm here, whether anything can move here. And by the end of that first year, um, people were coming up to me with tears in their eyes saying, I'm so ashamed that I didn't give you a chance and I know I was wrong and you know will you forgive me and I I therefore absolutely believe that at the right time and place this kind of transformational healing work of understanding each other and seeing each other is possible but I wouldn't ask every oppressed person to walk right into a situation where their humanity is being denied um, or where they may face abuse like I, I you know I understand that that is fraught um, but that there's something in between saying, well, we're going to just be talking to people who don't see us as human, so therefore let's not do it, and 
um, kumbaya. Like there's something like, in between. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like, let's, yeah. it's this complicated, it's hard, it's not for everyone all the time, but is there a relationship in your life? Is there some setting that would feel safe enough where you could have this courageous conversation and say what the rhetoric that you're spouting or the things, the policies you're promoting, like they feel like they deny my humanity. I'm afraid. Tell me, tell me why you're doing that. It, it feels hurtful to me. That could be so powerful. And if a lot of your listeners are in places where they're surrounded by people who have those opinions, like I know that's, I can only imagine how hard that is. I'm in a, I, 95% or 98% of my congregation is, is, is aligned with what I'm saying. So I'm not in that situation. I know it's easier for me to say, but every day if you're in those interactions, every now and then there might be a person who you feel like is open enough that you could kind of broach it and be a little bit vulnerable and see if something fruitful happens. And sometimes it won't, but maybe sometimes it will. Jesse and I both went to the New York march, um, and a lot of people went to some march, you know, but then like you said, the next day, and then he can just do all this damage with the pen. And I think people are trying to figure out, you know, what what next and what advice you might have for people who are either looking for leaders or looking to be leaders in their own communities and... I'm going to take this page from your laptop. This is what I want to say. Someone gave you this amazing poem. This is what I want to say. Uh, the first line is in Hebrew, which means this is, the big, this is the big rule. Do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize it and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. That's called Clearing by Martha Postlewaite. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that, I, I have this right in the center of my table in my office because I need to be reminded of it and I want anybody who comes in to see it because I feel like we need leaders right now. We need, we need people who are willing to be courageous. We need people who are willing to um, risk and also do inconvenient things, like do things that are out, out of the ordinary pattern of their lives. Um, but it will, it will be most effective if first people are able to take a deep breath and take time with themselves and really listen inside of themselves. What do I have to give? What is it that's my place in this world that is something that either is because I have passion about it or because I have skills in it or because it it's calling to me? After listening and getting quiet, then we can with wisdom and skill, apply ourselves. And I do think this is a time when many people are feeling moved to get out of ordinary life, to go beyond whatever their regular kind of job, kids, whatever their life is, and say, okay, I, I'm gonna do all that still, but I, but I have to also give this extra percentage to my world, to my country, to my city, whatever it is. It's possible to kind of get into a frantic thing of just like react, 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 because there's so much happening. Yeah. And um, I think we will do better if we can take that deep breath you know, and um, create a clearing in the dense forest of our lives and wait there patiently until the song that's our life falls into our own cupped hands. Do you recommend a strong meditation practice? I do. I, I meditate every day. It enables me to, to listen and get quiet. And I feel like there's so much distraction and noise and so much pulling us in so many directions. And it's so easy to panic. Mm. Like right now I feel so much fear swirling everywhere. And um, I, I feel it inside of myself, but I also feel it around. If we can get quiet and return to what's calm and steady inside of us, just even our breath is so 
steady and reliable even just the solid the solid feet on the floor like even just remember like okay right now I'm okay I'm actually sitting here I'm okay right now and um, get in touch with that sense of safety um, also get in touch with love we talked about it before but when there's so much fear love gets shut down and um, we need love so much and it starts with loving ourselves always love starts with loving ourselves it, it it's only really possible to open our hearts to others if we're not busy hating on ourselves or being mean or being judgmental or you know and so it, it, it's not I'm not saying like oh take the next year to just love yourself I'm definitely not saying that even five minutes a day of just directing love to your own heart directing love to your own self as a scared person like whatever's whatever's getting you down just like having compassion for your own self who's trying really hard and suffering and doing your best and then turning outward in concentric circles that reach endlessly you know for every everyone who's also carrying a heavy burden and you don't even know what it is you know and just thinking about what that burden is or thinking about just as you approach each person just thinking I don't know what that person's carrying but here's a human being doing their best um you went to the march in DC I did go to the march in DC how did it feel it was exhilarating I mean it was we had three buses, and each bus ended up in a different place. We never could find each other. Oh, wow. It was so overwhelmingly crowded. You couldn't... The buses parked at, one, at the RFK Stadium. The subways were down because mm-hmm. it was so crowded. So you had to walk in two and a half miles to just get there. Then, then you get there, and it's so many people that, like, we never got anywhere near the stage. Anywhere near the march route. Like, we were never part of the official march, part of the official rally, part of anything. But it didn't matter because we were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of other people who also were not at the march... <laughs> But who were, like, there. And what ended up happening was, I think this was in New York, too, that it was so beyond the expectations of numbers, we were packed in really, really tight. You know, that can get uncomfortable and it can get a little bit scary. People were kind and funny and just, like, looking out for each other. And that was beautiful. And then eventually it opened up and we just started marching. And it wasn't the march route. It wasn't any route. It was like, just, we just started just marching. Walking. And then we started, we found Pennsylvania Avenue. We were all started marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. And you look back and it's like endless. It's just come, human, a river of humanity. River of humanity just coming and coming and coming and coming. And, um, and then you look down the side street and you realize everyone's doing that. Everyone just found whatever was the nearest street <laughs> and just started marching. So there was, there was, you know, I don't know how many marches, but they, they just basically sprawled through the city. We weren't even supposed to be on the mall. Like the mall was was blocked off That's to right, us. That's right. I heard that. Yeah. But then it was completely full because there was just you couldn't stop it. Right. And ah, uh, that was just extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Um, I've been to this is my fourth march on Washington for various things, and there's I, nothing close to this in terms of the number of people, or also just the beautiful spirit of it. The biggest thing that happened on that day is that we saw each other. We saw how powerful we could be. So now we have to translate the power of pussy hats and the signs and the getting our feet out there into concerted strategic action to be powerful and I don't think anybody's figured out exactly how to do that yet but I think we're all working on figuring that out and I I believe in our creativity and you know strategic thinking I think we'll, we'll figure it out yeah well thank you so much for, for after the election and for this and you're so welcome <laughs>she said was the bit about how it's good and sometimes necessary to take a minute 
when you're confronting like a big evil thing and she used the word evil and i said this to you jesse before like i don't think she uses that word lightly yeah it was capital e capital e (laughs) capital e evil like when you're facing something like this that we are all facing it's normal to be reeling a little bit and um it's great that i mean you know greenpeace is scaling a a crane a crane are they still on the crane yeah they (laughs) they are they just they just unfurled the banner like i was just looking at it on facebook they just unfurled the resist banner it's cool you know there are people that have already done their assessing and are already acting and that's Great. And if that's you, more power to you. And if you're more like me, where you're like, oh, wait, I have a job. Maybe I should do that and like get some sleep. Um, that's OK, too, because there's a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a role. Like like you said before, everybody can contribute to the resistance like to their what, what they what they feel like they can contribute. So do you want to say like a thing? Is there a thing that we're all doing this week for the resistance? So the thing I'm doing this week is this thing that Talia and I are maybe starting about um, a women led voter registration drive. Um, we are contacting people in Congress and kind of getting organized about that. So other than sort of regrouping um, personally, that's that's my resistance action that I'm focusing on this week. Um, I'm going to a rally tonight at Washington Square. Uh, it's a immigration rally uh, based on, based on nice. his new executive orders. I'm going to a meeting on Saturday in the afternoon about uh, bringing a $15 minimum wage to New Jersey. But if you have suggestions for ways to resist or how you're resisting or this great website you found that makes sure you'll never miss another protest or candlelight vigil again or whatever it is, please let us know. Um, you can leave us a voicemail and let us know. And that number is... Uh, 510-402-6081. We love, we love getting voicemails from you. You can also yeah. find that on our website too. You know, if, if you're just like, I also find joy in eggs. Like, tell us. <laughs> or <laughs> whatever whatever the thing is. No, or if you want to make a suggestion of, of the ways people can resist or how you're resisting... Um, I think our listeners really like to hear from you. They're fellow That's listeners. true. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Songaday Man, uh, all one thing, M-A-N-N, Songaday Man. And Jesse? Jesse underscore Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H. And Summer, you're not on Twitter at the moment. <laughs> I am on Twitter. I at am. the moment. At the moment. <laughs> you, can, you can go and read any of my, you know, several thousand tens of thousands of tweets of the past i will be back on twitter i'm just i'm just i'm finding it to be a time suck and i have deadlines um but i'll be back and it's at summer brennan so if you want to indeed go check it out and the podcast is the 451 the underscore 451 the numbers leave us a leave us a review on itunes too please do a review or just a rating it actually helps a lot Go check out Domainer for your new resistance website. Yes, domainer.com slash 451. Jesse, you want to take us out? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Ooh. That's harsh. No, Sorry. I have nothing. <laughs> You're like... Right. Wait, I can do it. I can do it. I, Jesse, I want to say that thing that we were talking about before. <laughs> Jesse's like, I hate you. <laughs> no, but we were talking about, you know, uh, the idea that we're all just insignificant <laughs> specks of matter uh-huh. in an indifferent universe, ultimately. Yeah, the, the, this is a hopeful conversation. That's one way of looking at it. I mean, <laughs> if you think about if you think about the accident of your existence and how how like how every single one of your um, ancestors going all the way back to like even pre-human 
like there's this long lineage of, of ancestors that like if one thing had been out of place, like you literally wouldn't exist. I don't know. To me, that's a, like a hopeful thought. And, and it's like the science version of what the rabbi had to say. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Jesse, you were saying like you were saying that like that that's sort of what makes the eggs taste good. Right. Because it's right. like because it's, it's it's a cosmic accident. Right. That, that you get to see a beautiful piece of art on the wall or. Um, you know, hear a song or see a nice flower. It's like, it's just bonus. And, and, and if you go even further, like, like from a different angle, like the fact is, is that like your feelings and your thoughts, as far as science knows, are just basically like neurons, like a electricity in your brain mixing with a bunch of chemicals. And like that's, <laughs> and like that's, you know, and that's who you are according to science. And there may be, there's probably more to it. Than, I love that, that we're we giving like the other, like the other side of what the rabbi had to say. She's talking about like, we're all this beautiful evolving, you know, like manifestation of godliness. Yeah, no, but it's the and same thing. science. It's literally <laughs> it's the, the same, same thing. thing to me. It's, it really yeah. is like the beauty, the beauty of our existence uh, in all of its like both uh, spiritual glory, but also the scientific glory, I find equally beautiful. I really do. And and I find all that stuff endlessly comforting to think about. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, everyone. It's Summer again. So just a reminder that you can find out more about the topics we discussed this week by going to the451.com. That's the 451 allwrittenout.com. There you'll find our email address as well as our phone number, um, in case you missed it when, when Jonathan just said it. And you can leave us a voicemail and let us know uh, what you're doing to stay hopeful and to resist. We do love getting those voicemails, so uh, we want to encourage you to call. If you enjoy listening to the 451 and would like to support us, there's a few ways that you can do that. Um, without spending any money at all, as we said, you can go to iTunes and leave us a review or a rating, which actually goes a long way uh, to help us out. Um, if you want, you can also go to the451.com donate, and that will take you to our Patreon page. And uh, a lot of people have been very generous and uh, pledged to donate a dollar or more a month to help us out. And uh, like I said, that goes a long way to making the podcast sustainable. So thank you so, so much to everyone who's already done on that and I want to encourage people that can um, and want to to go ahead and do that as well anyway uh, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week this has been the 451 podcast for the resistance Four fifty one. Uh, my name's Bridget. I'm calling from the liberal coast of Illinois with a couple of suggestions for topics I thought you might like to cover in the future. Are House reps and senators seeing any uptick in communications from the public, uh, the resistance in particular? Uh, asking because in the past I've emailed my representatives quite a bit, but this new dystopian era marks the first time I've written an actual physical letter and made phone calls. And while I have gotten through a few times, I've also encountered a busy switchboard and a full voicemail box, and I'd like to believe those are good signs, but not really sure. Um, second topic would be, are other fellow resistors at odds with their families? If so, how are they dealing? 
Um, myself, I'm a lone black sheep in my family of right-wing evangelical Christians. And honestly, I'm having a really hard time even wanting to look at my parents' faces these days, much less engage in across-the-aisle discussions. I mean, obviously I love them, uh, and it's not like we're in this argument or anything. I, I've seen them recently, but it's hard to be in the same room with people who are A, on the wrong side of history, B, actively voting against their own interests, and C, think you're a godless idiot for wanting the environment, brown people and women to be respected. Uh, so yeah, that was a bit of a ramble. Uh, thanks for your consideration, and you guys do great work. Keep it up. Deportation. Families, not deportation.